0: Good morning everyone. Welcome. You want to grab a seat? So glad you're with us today either at home or on, pardon me, at home or in person. I was going to say at home or online, which would be like you're not all here. A uh, couple things to start. Uh, just wanted to say thank you to all our volunteers. We. We hosted a memorial service here on Thursday uh, for Don Miller. It was really touching to see uh, a team of of volunteers here, Ron and Marg, kind of headed things up along with Lynn. And it was just wonderful, Uh, uh, just showing the care to the the Miller family. I also want to just add my uh, words of thanksgiving to Caleb. Uh, He not only, as as you heard, was involved in youth and young adults, he preached and uh, was involved hosting on Sunday mornings. And uh, can we give him another round of applause. We'll miss him. We'll save a little bit of money at home for Angel and I. We'll just, uh, you know, like grocery bill will go down, but whatever. It's, it's all good. We enjoyed having you. We'll miss you when you're God. Um, and we're praying for you that God would lead you in what God has next for you. Would you keep on praying for him and for our other young adults in our church as they are finding their way in the world? And uh, some of what God has next for what he's doing at Hillside is pretty exciting, and I'm so glad we get a chance to go downstairs after the service and, and, and show and kind of have the great reveal of, of what's happening at Hillside, and uh, the developments and the building project that is, is, is happening. In fact, uh, some of that construction is actually going to be starting sooner than later. We've actually had contracts signed, and there's actually some stuff that's going to be happening, I believe, this week. So this has been a Uh, We've been trying to catch you up as quickly as we can, but things are moving fast, so go on downstairs, ask your questions, and uh, also a lot of time, a lot of reason to be praying right now in the season for Hillside, so would you keep on praying that God would lead us, he'd guide us, and provide for us? I invite you to pray. Why don't we pause and pray right now? Lord God, we just acknowledge your presence here in this space, Uh, in our homes, you are with us in... This room you are with us. You uh, love your people. You love it when we gather. There's something sacred about that. And uh, we just want to continue to lift up your church. Would you continue to lead us through these days? We're excited about what you want to do, Lord. And I pray um, what you want to do on the exterior of our building, uh, we just think how much more you want to do in the interior of our hearts. Would you continue to change us, God? Transform us? Um, reorder our loves. Help us to be directed towards you and towards your purposes in the world. We uh, we invite you by your spirit right now to speak. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, probably one of the most impactful books I've read in recent years is a book by Brian Stevenson. Uh, it's called Just Mercy. And Brian Stevenson, he's a Christian and a lawyer who Founded an organization in the southern U- US that tries to help those who've been unjustly convicted of crimes. There's a touching story of when Brian was trying to free a black man in Al- Alabama who was clearly innocent. About a dozen people had seen when he had allegedly seen him when he'd allegedly committed the crime, but none of those were allowed to be in the courtroom because they were African American. So, Stevenson complained to the judge, who reluctantly allowed Steven to admit, Stevenson to admit a few of these eyewitnesses. One older black woman named Mrs. Williams was chosen to represent this group. But there was another big problem. A huge German shepherd stood guard outside of the courtroom. Uh, when Mrs. Williams, who was clearly afla- afraid of God, she was actually deathly afraid of dogs, saw the dog, She froze in her tracks and began to shake, and tears started running down her face, and then she turned around and she ran out of the courtroom. Later she said, and confessed to Mr. Stevenson, she said, I feel so badly I let you down today. I was meant to be in that courtroom. I should have been in that courtroom. Stevenson writes, she started to cry, and I couldn't console her. She said, I wanted to be in there so bad, but when I saw that dog, all I could think about was Selma. Alabama 1965 I Remembered how they beat us and I remember the dogs. I Wanted to move I tried to move, but I just couldn't do it She walked away with tears running down her face The next day her sister told Brian that mrs. Williams didn't eat or talk to anybody all night They just heard her praying all night the same prayer Lord I can't be scared of no dog Lord I can't be scared of no dog the next morning, she walked up to Stevenson and said, I ain't scared of no dog. I ain't scared of no dog. And then she walked right past that huge German Shepherd into the courtroom. The, the courtroom was packed when the judge walked in, and everybody rose and sat down except for Mrs. Williams. She told the courtroom in a, a very loud, firm voice, I'm here. But Stevenson said this, when she what what she was saying wasn't that she was physically present. She was saying, I may be old, I may be poor, I may be black, but I am here because I've got a vision of justice that compels me to stand up to injustice. And that was when the, the tide in the case turned, the wrongly convicted man was eventually free. You know, friends, when God wants to do something extraordinary, he often taps the shoulder of an ordinary person and says, How about you? How about you? Today I want to look at the dynamics of how God tapped a man on the shoulder named Nehemiah and used him in an extraordinary way to literally bring about the restoration and the rebuilding of a nation. And Nehemiah, as we learned last week, uh, stepped out, he stepped up. In spite of being very much afraid, he was bold because he had a problem. <laughs> the broken down walls of his city. It was a God-sized problem that was bigger than his fear. And he also had a God that was bigger than the problem. Again, I wonder for you, I wonder for us, where might be calling you to be part of his rebuilding or restoration program in the world it could be last week that God put his finger on something he wants you to consider he wants you to be praying about could be that that broken wall is is out there somewhere but frankly it could also be in your own life God wants to do a work of rebuilding in you he wants to restore you Quick recap of uh, Nehemiah's story. He's an Israelite. He's living as cupbearer to the king in Persia, which is in the capital city of Susa. He gets a report that Jerusalem, his hometown, is in ruins, rough shape. The walls are broken down. And Nehemiah wails and weeps. He waits and he prays, and we're told he's sad before the king. And then he boldly advocates for rebuilding Jerusalem And because God's gracious hand was on him, Nehemiah embarks on a journey to Jerusalem complete with a military escort and the promise of the resources with which to rebuild the city. This is uh, where we pick up the story in in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, and you can turn there if you have a Bible with you or an app on your phone, where we get his account of the journey. It reads, So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Now, Nehemiah not only came with a full military escort, which would be cool to kind of imagine... Um, it would have been impressive, but it's apparent from this account that with these kind of letters he carried, he also came with the full authority of the king of Persia. He had that authority that he carried behind him. And I wanted to say this right off the bat, you know, when God breaks our heart over a problem in the world, when, or when God gives us some kind of assignment that he wants us to carry out, we need to remember where, where when, when he sends us to change something, either in our lives or, or, or elsewhere. We have the full authority of the throne of God behind us. We can proceed with the full confidence of the unseen but very real hand of God backing us up. This is the, the with God we were talking about last week. We do not seek to change the world or even our own lives by ourselves. This is all a with God project. You'll, you'll be very frustrated if you try to do it on your own. It's a God and us deal. And we can step out boldly when we carry the king's letter. Now, uh, as soon as he arrives, we're told Nehemiah met, up, Nehemiah met up with two troublesome enemies when he got there. Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. A Horonite would be a devotee of the, the god Horon, which would have been a local god in that region... He would have been a pagan, not a God guy. Tobiah was a citizen of Ammon, which is the country we know of today as Jordan. Ammon was one of the the tribes descended from Lot, which was Abraham's nephew. And so this means that the Ammonites would have been like cousins or distant cousins to Israel. But over time, they'd become enemies, bitter enemies. And in this book, this records the first appearance of Nehemiah's enemies. We'll hear more from them Uh, before long. Listen again to their reaction to Nehemiah's arrival. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. This is their initial reaction. (laughs) Later on, they're more actively opposed to Nehemiah's mission, but for now, they're disturbed, right? I want to say this is often the case whenever we step out on some kind of change mission. Like, whenever. We begin to step out to transform something in our own lives or in our community. There will be those, for whatever reason, won't be happy about it. They might even be disturbed. You know, they, they, they won't necessarily be cheering on your efforts. Sometimes you step out and you're expecting the whole crowd to say, Yay! Go for it! And often that's not the case. You don't quite get that. You're going to find this. When you step out on a mission with God, there's going to be voices that speak things like this you can't do that. You're not up to that. It'll never work out. You're not up to the challenge. God doesn't work like that, or God doesn't speak like that, or God doesn't provide like that. Some of you have even heard those kind of voices when our, with our building with a mission program. God doesn't do those kind of things. Uh, Angel and I, uh, you know, 30 years ago, um, we weren't married yet, and we were in that season, I was we were just graduating from university and figuring out what, what we were going to do with our lives, and we had this nagging sense that God was calling us to to Vancouver to this region and uh we we kept praying about it and and we kept having this draw and we kept as we shared this idea with people, more often than not, we did not get excitement from people we got reasons why we shouldn't go <laughs> and yet. Even our parents were initially, if you want to describe it, and honestly, were disturbed by it. They were very, very much disturbed. Some of you know those voices very, very well. You've stepped out, and some of the first pushback you experience is not somebody else's voice, but that voice of self-doubt in your own head. You know that, right? The voice that says, you're not up to this. You can't do this. In these moments, look at those letters. In other words, remember who's sending you. Like Nehemiah, you go in the king's name. You're carrying the king's authority. And here's the thing. The job requirement for tackling some problem is, is not that you be fearless. You don't have to be not afraid. Nehemiah was very much afraid. And you don't actually have to be strong and powerful. In fact, as Paul Put it in Second Corinthians. God's power is somehow miraculously made perfect in our weakness. I had a, a full, full, challenging week this week, and I didn't. At the beginning of the week, I didn't know how I was going to get through it. I actually put a prayer request on the prayer chain, and many of you have said how much you've prayed for me this week. Thank you. I'm going to put a prayer request on every Monday. It's the, here on in, but uh, you guys prayed. It was such an encouragement. But often when God leads me into a challenge like that. He'll give me a verse or a word from Scripture that will be a real encouragement. And that was 2 Corinthians again, in uh, verse 2 of chapter 4, where it says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. The the jars of clay are us, right? We're carriers of the treasure, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing greatness or power is from God and not from us. So we go in the king's name, we go in the king's power, but we have to remember the king gets the glory too. It continues, we read in verse 12, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, by the way, I think those three days where he just kind of stays, he just kind of rides there, he rests He's just recovering from jet lag, <laughs> like seriously. Uh, it was like a 1,300-kilometer journey to go from Susa to Jerusalem. This is no small trip in those days. Uh, there were no jets. Uh, there, the, the, the lagging was you being on a donkey or on a horse for a, a long, long, long trip. So he's here, he's resting, he's settled in, and it says, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts, no horses with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, really nice names, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, the pool of Siloam. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through, So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing because as of yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Anticipating opposition, Nehemiah keeps kind of close counsel here. He didn't tell anybody what he was doing until he'd seen for himself what needed to be done. And so before he does anything at all, he goes out at night and and secretly examines the broken walls to see how bad things really were. Uh, Apparently, the walls were so bad that that debris and, and rubble had strewn through the valley floor so he couldn't even ride his horse in places. But one of the reasons he goes out on this reconnaissance mission is he's a smart leader, a smart leader wants firsthand knowledge of how things really are. He doesn't trust secondhand accounts, but he says, I'm going to look for myself. I'm going to see for myself. This is important. You know, for quite a few years here at Hillside, we, we've been involved in, in refugee ministry. Um, some of our, our modern exposure to that has been an event that happened on the coast of British Columbia years ago uh, a ship, a broken down vessel with Uh, 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 several hundred Tamil refugees who were starving and literally at the end of the rope, they'd fled war from Sri Lanka. They arrived on B.C. shores. And Angel, uh, being a Tamil speaker, was recruited by this organization we've gotten to know and now partner with, Journey Home Community. They recruited her, and then Angel recruited many of you to be involved in welcoming these Tamil refugees to Canada. Years ago, our church decided as well to sponsor a refugee family, a Syrian refugee family. And and we also began to get a sense that that we were being called to partner with some kind of refugee ministry in the Middle East. So so a few years ago, on the tail end of our our family sort of European holiday, I took a few extra days on my own and and flew to Lebanon. And, And during my five days in Lebanon, I had the opportunity to visit churches and Christians who are doing refugee outreach, especially in the tent communities of the close to two million refugees that had fled Syria and and arrived in Lebanon. And friends, that trip changed me. I I, I have that image in my head often. I I had it in my head when I thought of Esther and Thierry, members of our church who, who are seeking to sponsor their family who are, who've been living in refugee camps for 26 years, 26 years, seeing firsthand the living conditions and hearing those stories rocked my world. And that, that exploration trip, that was part of, of what led us to partner with this church in Iraq who are loving refugees by, by providing food and water and heating oil. For Nehemiah, I think there's this dynamic going on here. Nehemiah is deliberately exposing himself to the full extent of the tragedy, to the the brokenness of Jerusalem, so that this need kind of goes all the way deep inside of him, to the core of his being. He he rides around and says to himself the words of that old Popeye cartoon. That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. For you young kids, you have no idea what I just talked about there, but we get it. Uh, the power of spinach. <laughs> it was how my parents got me to eat spinach as a child, I just want to say. But Nehemiah gets to the place where no opposition, no, no obstacle, no difficulty will distract him from what God is calling him to do. Let me remind you again that we as followers of Jesus, um, when we follow him, he leads us to embrace problems could be around any kind of trouble in the world or in our community. But you know what? I also think that, that we have a tendency in our world right now, a, a tendency of avoiding anything that makes us feel unpleasant by avoiding thinking about it. We, we change the channel. We distract ourselves with devices. We do something to escape. But Jesus' people do exactly the opposite. They expose themselves to the things that fire them up. They, they read about it. They study it. They immerse themselves in it and, and go and see for themselves so that the fire burns all the more brightly. And I don't, I don't know what the fire is for you, and I don't know what God might be calling you to, but I believe God is calling you to something. We as a church, our, our, our church leadership dove in for the last couple of years, and we've worked out on a five-year strategic vision, and we again confirmed the the mission statement that that we formed a few years ago to become a community of fully equipped and empowered followers of Jesus, bringing his healing and hope and compassion to the Tri-Cities and beyond. And I got to say, we've been getting fired up about that vision. We're going to unpack this more, but we forged three wildly important goals for us as a community. In five years, we want to see 100%, 100% of people connected to Hillside truly engaged and connected to God. We want to see 100% of our people growing in their faith. You know, we're calling it them being involved in our spiritual formation pathway, which means they're on a growth pathway. They're they're making steps to continue to grow in their faith and be more, more like Jesus. And then we want to see 100% of our people equipped and empowered to serve. To serve where you live, to serve where you work, to serve the neighborhood, to serve in, in ministries, caring for the vulnerable, wherever it is, to serve in the church. We want to see people empowered and equipped to serve. i got to say this too. We know that we're not even close to achieving this right now. We're not even close to this goal, but we're so serious about this. It's what's keeping us up nights. This, Let me say this. This building project is actually small potatoes compared to the dreams we have for seeing life change happen in people. Seeing God rebuild and and transform us. That's our dream. That's our vision. Let me say this as well. This is helpful to know, I think, or to do something like this in recovering our own ruined areas of our lives, those places that God wants to restore in us, there's kind of got to be for us as people a moment of truth. We've got to kind of face the facts. We've got to name them. We've got to acknowledge them to ourselves and to others. We don't cover them up, and we don't excuse them. It's like what happens in the work of Alcoholics Anonymous, AA. You know, Probably one of the breakthrough moments in that program is when a person looks at the broken wall's in their life their life that are a direct result of addiction to alcohol and when they come to that moment where they're able to confess I'm an alcoholic if if they are not willing to do that there's little hope for recovery and so we do that we we feel the pain of it Nehemiah does this he uh, goes out he looks at the mess that is Jerusalem and now he's he's ready he pulls The leaders of jerusalem together and he says to them this he says then i said to them you see the trouble we're in jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire that's interesting this is not new information for anyone the walls have actually been broken down for probably scholars tell us about a hundred years already but the people who've returned, they've learned to live with it. They don't bring it up. You know, when they're at a party, they talk about sports. They, they talk about weather or something else. They don't talk about the mess. I, I said to some of you last week, you, have you ever moved into a new house or a new apartment and you found all the things that were wrong with it, right? You maybe even made a list. You write it down. Funny, after a month or two, it doesn't bother you anymore, right? You, you've learn to live with it. Nehemiah gathers the leaders together and says, this is unacceptable. And then he casts the vision. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. I told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. Just one person who has a fire. Just just one person who's bold and clear enough to name it and the people say, okay, let's do it. We're told they began the good work. This really leads to a core practice of rebuilders. First, there's a sense of having a God-sized problem. That's followed by prayer, which is eventually followed by actually taking action. You know, take action. Difference makers take action. Most of us, again, when we hear about some problem in the world, when we hear the walls are down, we'll say, that's too bad. Somebody's got to do something about that. Somebody ought to feed those hungry people. Somebody ought to educate those kids. Somebody ought to reach out to people who don't know about God. But rebuilders don't just talk. They actually do something. As we said last week, Nehemiah hears about the trouble. And even though he's far away, long, long away, his life is going well, comfortable. When he hears about it, he prays and risks going to the king. And he gets foreign policy changed. He gets royal protection. He gets the king to write a check for the lumber. He resigns his high-level job. He he leaves his lifelong home, and he had his heart broken by the conditions in Jerusalem. He drew plans. He called leaders together. He cast vision, and the people agreed. Miracle of miracles. They have a ground-making ceremony, and then they start the work. Guys, it's just a remarkable story. The the chapter ends with these words, though. We're told that when Sinbalat, the Horonite... Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it. By the way, this is the list of the enemies and they're growing. We started off with two. Now we've got Geshem the Arabite who's added to the list. When they heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? When they say, what are you doing? (laughs) This is not them looking for new information. You know, like a parent who says, do you want a spanking? Or do you, want a, do, do you want punishment? We don't expect the child to say, well, let me think about it. This was an accusation, a threat, a slandering of them. It literally says, they mocked and ridiculed us. Friends, when you start recovering your ruin, when you start, step out into to whatever recovery project God gives you, you will meet severe resistance as Nehemiah discovers As someone once said, whenever anybody says, I will arise and and build, Satan always replies, then I will arise and oppose. You can count on it. And this is normal Christianity. I've always appreciated the definition of a Jesus follower that says, Christians are those who are completely fearless, absurdly happy, and always in trouble. Friends, life comes with its fair share of troubles for everyone. Everyone goes through trouble. Why not be in trouble for the right reasons? Why not be in trouble because you're stepping up with God on a mission to bring his healing and his hope to the world? I take great encouragement from Jesus' words in John 16, where he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And because he's overcome the world, and because we can walk with his peace, we don't have to be afraid. We can, you know, we can walk boldly. Maybe we need to pray with Mrs. Williams. I can't be afraid of no dogs. I can't be afraid of no dogs. If God is with me, I can't be afraid of no dogs. She stood up she walked right past her fears because she had a vision of justice of wholeness and healing that compelled her may god give you may god give us that kind of courage may he give us that kind of grace next week we'll look at how Nehemiah and the people of god actually overcome opposition and accomplish their mission but for you this morning what about you what action step might god be leading you on i'm gonna just take some time we're gonna pray this morning so if you'd bow your heads with me let's pray father i have just a hunch that you've been tapping on some shoulders of some of us this morning or this last week you've been waking us up to a need to a problem in our world a mess or an area of brokenness even in our own lives god You've been giving us an idea, a a guide idea, the potential of of some kind of change or restoration that you might want to bring. Lord, as we pray, like Nehemiah, would you begin leading and empowering us on a difference-making journey? Lord, would you help us and lead us? Lord, it's just so easy to be afraid. Or maybe in our world right now, it's so easy to be apathetic, to not even care. It's easy to listen to, to voices that speak against doing anything important at all. So we pray, help us right now to fix our eyes on you. We know that we can't do this on our own. It's only if your gracious hand is on us. We thank you, Lord, for how you empower us and lead us um, by your spirit. And give us your authority that we're, we're able to step out and because We have the letters of the King. We've been declared sons and daughters of the Most High God, and in your name we can do mighty things. So, Lord, help us to lean into your authority, we pray. Lord, there are already some of us that are involved in a change project, but it's been hard. They've heard those voices, or they've encountered opposition, and the temptation is to quit. Father, I pray that you would graciously and lavishly pour out your strength by your spirit. In fact, as I was praying this week for us as a church and even for my own life, the word that kept coming to me was the word carrying. That God wants to carry us. That's that's the, a picture of the with God life. Of course, um, someone else shared with me the picture from Lord of the Rings where the eagles swoop in and and, and rescue, and, and carry, and, and, and uh, we're, we're sitting atop the great eagle, Lord, and I, I pray in your desire to carry us into whatever you've called us to, God, I pray, would you empower us by your Spirit? Fill us with your Spirit. I want to just take a, a few moments now and, and invite the Spirit to move in us. Just, just maybe open your heart. Lord I'm open, fill me with your spirit Holy Spirit come would you pour out your life and your power on your people today we're here we want more of you God we want spirit for you to, to empower us to do what only, what we can only do through you would you lead us and guide us breathe your life on us. we ask yes God come Holy Spirit Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit.